Well, good morning, all seasons. No, I haven't seen you all morning. So, wow, what a awesome, awesome presence of God that's here today. And I'm looking forward to what He wants to speak into your life uh, through this message. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs, let's go to Proverbs 12, uh, 12 and 14. It'll be our starting scripture. We'll go through a few today. But I want to, more than anything else today, is to distinguish between two words that need to be distinguished. It is whether you're unsatisfied or dissatisfied. It is whether you're unsatisfied or dissatisfied. And these two words, even though they seem similar, are different. And in the Bible or in our Christian walk, we need to distinguish between these because if we don't, we will take on a world mindset and a world attitude toward life. So understanding it from from, from this perspective, that the fruit of your mouth is a reflection of who you truly are spiritually. So what's coming out of your mouth comes from your heart and it will become eventually who you are or it will express who you genuinely are. The heart speaks and so does the mouth. The fruit of your mouth should be saturated then with good. But that's hard if you're dissatisfied. Now you can be unsatisfied and still accomplish it. I'll explain. But if you become dissatisfied with with your life, with your lot then life is going to become very difficult. Let me see if I can show it to you in a couple words. If I talk about discouragement, we we say to ourselves, I don't ever want to be discouraged. Well, you're going to be. Look at the person beside you and say, you're going to get discouraged. Discouragement is part of your journey. It tests your faith. So when you're discouraged, it doesn't mean you picked the wrong church. It doesn't mean you picked the wrong God. It just means you're facing life. And let me tell you a few things about discouragement. Perhaps nothing is more effectively crippling in your life than the act of discouragement. Nothing will cripple you worse. The enemy knows more than anything else. He uses it more than anything else to stop you from reaching your destiny. There's nothing that he will use more crippling. You think, oh, well, this could happen to me. We see in society people who lose, lose something or lose a mate or, 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 or have lost something in their life, and yet they produce. They keep moving far. So it's not that. It is the act of discouragement that causes a person to say, I just can't. I won't make it. No, not infrequently, does the devil use discouragement to hinder and impede the work of God? Listen, when we talk about discouragement, don't get discouraged because you have to struggle. It is the natural order of your life. From the moment I've ever started anything, tried anything, want to do anything, let me explain to you, the greatest battle I ever face every day of my life is being discouraged. One, one moment trying to, trying to set up a route in my life. 
and it will be the same way with you. It is the natural order of life. But listen to me. It requires few, few qualifications. You don't have to practice. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to take a course in this to be a first-class discourager. You, you, you know people in your life. If you don't even want to tell them things you're thinking about doing, because the moment you tell it to them, they're going to tell me everything wrong. You don't have to practice anything to find people who are really good at discouragement. But now, we said the problem is not discouragement. The problem is dissatisfaction. Being dissatisfied or unsatisfied. So if I use the term unsatisfied, what it literally means is, is something that is not totally complete. Something that is not 100%. Does anybody in here feel like your life is 100% what you want it to be? No. So look at the person beside you and say, you're unsatisfied. That's natural. Let me give you a phrase that we're going to use throughout this sermon that you need to catch more than anything else. Man's destiny is not to be dissatisfied, but to be forever unsatisfied. Man's destiny, your destiny in life, is to wake up every day of your life unsatisfied, but never to wake up dissatisfied. That is the lot of life. That is the the greatest thing you will ever grasp in your mind to understand. Trying to raise a 401k that one day will make you happy or trying to reach a destiny that if I ever get to be 65 and I finally quit, then I'll be happy. Or if I ever get the kids out of the house, then I'll be happy. Or if I ever get, if you try to think that your unsatisfaction will ever end, boy, you're in for a rude awakening. If I ever get this kid out of diapers, no, then you'll have to worry about them in a car and where they're going. It'll never end in life because unsatisfaction is the lot of man. But dissatisfaction is what the enemy wants you to dwell in. So when a person begins to lose ground, when a person feels like they're losing ground in life, let me tell you what happens you instinctively want to become dissatisfied with what you have. The moment you start losing ground, I'll give you an example. You got a car, love the car. Car, man, it's just awesome. It's, it's, it's incredible. You bought this new car, man, it's, oh. Then all of a sudden you put that $4 gas in it for a while. And the insurance. Because you decided you wanted red, that made it more expensive on insurance. You wanted the sports version, that made it more expensive. So now you're like, now i got this red sports car. i got this gas I can't afford because it gets 18, 13 miles to the gallon. It sounds good going down the highway, but it is killing me. Then you realize you can't pull a boat with it or anything with it. It's going to look real bad to put a trailer hitch on the back of that sports car. Now it's like, I need a truck. I have to borrow a truck every time. Let me tell you what happens. When you start losing ground on something in your life, let me tell you what will happen. 
you will become dissatisfied. So somebody's going to walk up and they're going to say, man, that is a cool sports car. It's all right. It's, 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 you know, I'll trade it to you. You want to buy it, just let me know. Everything's for sale. What's happened? It, it, in life, understand, the natural tendency is when I start losing ground on something in my life, what I have to fight against is the tendency to become dissatisfied with it. I'll be glad when I finally get rid of that red car. I'll be glad when I finally get rid of all that stuff. I'll be glad when I'm finally dead. And I don't have to worry about none of this anymore. I'll be, you become dissatisfied even with your own life. You're living. You're alive. You're, you've got, I don't care. I'd rather die. Why? Because when you feel like you're losing ground with something, dissatisfaction becomes the normal tendency. Bro, you're digging kind of deep this morning. I am. And let me show it to you in Scripture. I showed you Proverbs. Let's go back to Proverbs. Let's read what it says. Proverbs 12 and 14. Here's what it says. A man will be satisfied with the good by the fruit of his... So understand that a man's going to be satisfied not by what he has, but by what? But by what he speaks about what he has. It's not what you have that makes you satisfied. It is what you learn to speak about what you have. have. If you get married and five years down the road, all you ever say is, this is my old woman, this old ball and chain, my old lady, then what's happening? You're going to become dissatisfied because of what? What you keep speaking. And the more you keep speaking it, you meet some young guy and he's fixing to get married and he look at you better know what you're doing. Biggest mistake of your life. Everything coming out of your mouth is creating dissatisfaction about your own. And he says, listen, a man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth and the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. So whatever I put my hands to then, that becomes natural for me to receive. It becomes natural for me to get. Let me give it to you in another phrase. Most men are dissatisfied. Most people are dissatisfied when they get what they deserve. You ever see people like that? They can't understand college is expensive. I got to pay for this. I got to. Well, you know, there was a thing called the ACT. And if you studied and you made real high on it, they'd pay for all that stuff. Most people get discontent with what they actually know they deserved. And they cry wanting someone else to fix what they know they've earned. I don't want this, but you earned this. So most people you'll find become dissatisfied and it becomes what comes out of their mouth. Now let me show it to you again in Scripture. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians 4. 7 through 10. The Apostle Paul explains it this way. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. Is that okay? 
You got it up here. I, I, I like the New Living Translation on this one. So here's what it says. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from who? God. Not from ourselves. And then he describes this mindset that you have to have. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. And through the suffering, our bodies continue to share the death of Jesus Christ so that the life of Jesus also may be seen in our bodies. Do you, do you understand the difference? He's saying that, listen, in my life, I have, I have traveled, mission, work, all of this. I have been unsatisfied many, many times. I, I've, I have been through all sorts of troubles and all sorts of trials. But listen to me, I do not get dissatisfied. I do not become dissatisfied with my life. Now, let me give you the definition of dissatisfied and satisfied so it'll, it'll make sense. Dissatisfied literally means this. Dissatisfied is an adjective. Someone who is dissatisfied is upset or annoyed or angered at something or somebody. A person might be dissatisfied by a lack of results or by poor performances or anything that else that might happen in their life. But listen to what's happened. They've taken it beyond just not being satisfied. They've taken it to an emotion. And now it is setting up in my life and causing my words, my actions to be painful to others. I'm angry. I'm upset. Because I'm not satisfied. Now, if I say someone is unsatisfied, let's look at that real close. To be unsatisfied is simply less than fully satisfied. That's all it means. The same event might leave one person actively annoyed or whatever that's dissatisfied, but another person merely less than 100% happy. So when someone is, is this, Paul is trying to describe to you the two differences. So let's look at them. If I'm dissatisfied, I feel like I am what? I have troubles on every side. You ever hear people say that? What's going on? Man, I'm telling you, I got trouble everywhere. Troubles, I mean, just like all I got is trouble. Everything I try to do messes up. Okay, that's dissatisfied. It's done affected your life. But if someone says, well, how's it going? Hey, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I'm still standing. I ain't crushed yet. Okay, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at, but I'm not to the point of despair. If someone was to ask me, what's your life like? Man, I've got some perplexing things going on. I got a bunch of stuff out there right now. I got all kind of things taking place. I got people, I got issues, I got family, I got... But notice what it says. In 2 Corinthians 4, 
but not driven to despair. Yes, I'm perplexed. But it's all right. We're going to get there. You ever notice being around the two different kind of people? Man, we got all kind of stuff going on. We not, and the other person's like, we're going to get there. Calm down. Are they dealing with the same issues? Yes. What's the difference? One is dissatisfied. He wants somebody to fix the problem. It's affecting him emotionally. He's angry. He's upset. The other person is unsatisfied. I understand we got issues. I understand we got problems. I understand life ain't perfect. But you know what? Don't get in despair. We're going to get there. We are hunted down. Seems like the enemy and everything, the devil just after me. That's what despair says. But unsatisfied just says, but we're never abandoned by God. God's still in it. God's still working. We get knocked down all the time, says dissatisfied. We, we're, man, I'm telling you, every time I try to get up, I get knocked back down. But the unsatisfied looks and says, you ain't destroyed. I love how the Apostle Paul said it one time when they were complaining. And he wrote to the church and he said, None of you have suffered unto death, so quit complaining. And I'm thinking, that's not exactly probably what they wanted to hear. Okay, when I'm dead, I can complain to you, right? He said, yeah, none of you have died. Jesus died. None of you have died. Yeah, you're going through problems. Yeah, you have issues. Yeah, family ain't. Yeah, things aren't. But listen to me. Don't be in despair. Listen, you're not destroyed. Listen, you haven't been crushed. Yes, you get knocked down. Yes, we get hunted down. Yes, we're in perplexing situations. Yes, sometimes we go through troubles. But learn how out of your mouth to produce the fruit that you want. The satisfied person is satisfied because of the fruit that's coming out of their mouth, not because of the situation that they're going through. We live in a society that thinks you need to change my situation before I can be happy. God says, I can give you joy and peace and happiness in spite of your situation. That's the difference. So in our lives, when we begin to deal with this, this is what happens. Now, let me show it to you in a, in a picture form. Go with me to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. Here's what he says. Oh, Lord, you induced me. And I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have done what? Prevailed. He said, let me tell you something. I looked at all that's going on and Jeremiah is complaining. And note, note he's fixing to really go off complaining to God. But before he does, he explains to them, let me tell you why I'm where I'm at. He said, because when I wanted to go in despair, when I wanted to be dissatisfied, God overwhelms me and God overtakes me and God shows me not to live in despair. You may not be satisfied. You may not be totally, completely, 100% satisfied, Jeremiah, but it's okay. It's going to work out. Don't become dissatisfied and start grumbling and complaining and whining and, and pulling away from me. So Jeremiah says, oh Lord, you've induced me. You tricked me is the word there. You tricked me. You suckered me in. And I was persuaded by what you said. You are stronger than me, and so therefore I can't prevail. 
I am in derision daily. Everyone does what? Mocks me. Anybody ever laugh at you? Make fun of you? Criticize you? Get used to it. It's the lot of life. It's the way it goes. Verse 8. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted, violence and plunder. Because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. When I spoke what you told me to speak, people didn't take it well. People didn't like it. They didn't clap. It caused me more problems than it brought me good. All they kept saying, oh, here comes Jeremiah. He got something bad to say. Here comes Jeremiah. He's got something ugly to tell us. Something else we done wrong. What else we do wrong, Jeremiah? He said, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach and a derision daily. But listen to what he says. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more of his name. So I said to myself, I'm through. I'm not preaching anymore. As I've told you many times, I quit every Monday. I have anointing just like Jeremiah has anointing. Quitting is part of it. If you, hadn't, if you haven't preached hard enough, good enough, if you haven't stood tall enough and took the licks long enough, then you ain't ever wanted to quit. But if you ever stood up and wanted to be who you're supposed to be, let me tell you one of the thoughts that will go through your mind. I had enough of this. I don't have, I'd go work in a grocery store. I did not have to take this. And Jeremiah said, listen, I determined in my mind, I am not preaching anymore. It, mm, zip. I, what do you think, Jeremiah? None of my business. I don't want to say nothing about it. But notice what happens to Jeremiah. I will not make mention nor speak any more of his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. And I was weary of holding it back. And I could not. See, you if you're unsatisfied then you're always going to get up each day pushing for the hoping that you will be able to correct one more thing, fix one more thing, make one more thing right. Just It, it causes you. And don't think that's a bad thing. That is the human lot to say, I, want, I wanted to quit, but I can't quit. Not because things are perfect. Notice, I could not. Let me give you a few things here about how to, to defeat discouragement. Write these down. Number one, when you're discouraged, pray. Always pray. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says. Change the atmosphere. Change your viewpoint. Change what you see at the moment compared to what God sees from eternity. Just like this morning when we're praying for the sick or praying for others. All I'm doing is I'm giving you God's viewpoint. God says, I've already done something. I've already, are you going to listen to me or are you going to listen to what others have told you? Prayer allows you to change the viewpoint of your life. Pray without ceasing. If you want to start the change in your life from being dissatisfied, I'm dissatisfied with work, I'm dissatisfied with my marriage, I'm dissatisfied with my kids, I'm dissatisfied... With just life in general. Start with prayer. 
Number two, when you're discouraged, you're going to have to learn to trust. Our plans of overcoming discouragement often fail because we're full of different things in us that discourage us. Let me give you a list of them. We like to wait. We like to wait. And we hope inside that it'll go away, right? First problem. We like, instead of trusting God, instead of, we just say, well, let's just wait and see what happens. Let's just wait and see what happens. Worst thing you'll ever hear anybody say. Let's just wait and see what happens. No, you better be doing something. The second thing is ruminate. That means over all the failures and problems in your life. Because if you wait long enough, let me tell you where your mind will go. It'll start to bring up all the things that got you here. Well, maybe I deserve this. You know, I, I used to do some bad stuff. You know, I was a bad person. You know, things with You just start ruminating all the stuff in your past and in your life. The third thing you'll do if you don't trust, you don't pray, is you'll begin to procrastinate. Procrastinating just the things that you know would help the situation, but you won't do them. What can I do to help the situation? What does it say to do? I don't want to do that. Then that's called procrastination. You can legislate. That means we start to look at other people and tell others what they ought to be doing. You ever notice how people finally get to there? They got messed up lives, issues, all this. And if you walk in, what do they do? Well, I know what you need to do. Somehow by fixing you, it'll make me better. And finally, you just grate. Robert Schuler says, you just grate. You just become irritable to be around. You just reach it to where your dissatisfaction has made you angry, upset, irritable, and you're just not fun to be with no more. This is what happens if you don't deal with discouragement in your life. Number three, when you're discouraged, you better learn to forgive. Why is forgiveness part of this? Because Jesus taught in Matthew that forgiveness, when you're wanting God to do something for you first, you make sure that you've forgiven everything someone else has done. you got to clear that slate so God can take care of your... When you're discouraged, look around to see if there's anybody I need to make things right with. Is there anything? Why am I discouraged? What is it that's shutting off my trust? And number four, when discouraged, move Don't sit there. Create a new dream, a new vision. If I were to ask you this question, I ask it all the time. Where are you going to be in five years? I ask this to anyone, pastors, it doesn't matter. Where are you going to be in five years? Most of the time, most people look at me, I don't know. And I'm like, well, then we, we don't have a lot to talk about. I'll ask you the second question. Tell me what you're reading. Whatever you're reading and putting in your mind, that's what you're going to become. If the only thing you ever do is watch Marvel comics, then you're dreaming one day you're going to fly and be like Superman, but it ain't going to happen. You may wear a t-shirt, you may do a whole thing, but you ain't becoming Superman. What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you putting in your mind? 
And listen to me, it's not always easy. I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm not a big music person. It is hard for me to ride in my wife's car. She's got K-Love on. She's got, and it's, it's, it's just sobby, praise, Christian music. And I'm like, oh, i got to listen to this stuff for an hour and a half riding with her. Now you would think, Pastor Lot, I know you love. No, it's not easy to force things into your mind. But let me tell you what happens. As I'm riding along, I begin to feel better. Because what, why, why do I not want to? Well, because I've watched the news and I've, I found out, you know, in Wisconsin, what it was this last night, that 10 more people got shot in a grocery store, 13 got injured, different things happened. And I'm like, okay, that's where my mind is. Man, this crazy world. And then all of a sudden, here's this, we're going to praise God and we're going to worship God and we're going to lift up God. I'm like, okay. So what has to happen in your life is you have to learn to move. You have to learn to grab a new dream. You have to learn to fill yourself with where it is you want to go and what you want to be. So when people come up for prayer this morning, it's not hard for me to say, want to be healed? Be healed. Why? Because I've saturated my mind with the scriptures that says you can be healed. You can be delivered. You can go free. Now, for somebody else, it may be hard because they've been, they've been listening to everything and pulling up online what diseases they got and what, what, you know, all the stuff. And they got all the information to tell you all the problems they got, but they ain't got no scripture. And all of a sudden, it's like, you can be healed. Uh-uh, look. That ain't even listed here. And so you have to decide to move. You have to decide to put your mind in the right place. We'll give it to you in one more story, my favorite story in the Bible. It's been my life story. It's the story of Nehemiah. Go with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. It's my favorite chapter of my life story. So when I'm dealing with issues and when I'm dealing with life and I'm dealing with problems, I'm going to let you into Pastor Lot's mind and how I deal. How do, you, how do you do what you do? How do you last 30 years? How do you not go crazy with everything? I'm fixing to let you in on it. It's learning to not be dissatisfied, to become angry or upset or, God, you need to fix stuff. You need, but it's to live continually unsatisfied, wanting more, wanting to see more, but not being overwhelmed. Let me show it to you. Nehemiah is one of the people when I get to heaven I want to spend time with. There are a few people that I want to spend time with. But Nehemiah is one that I would love to sit and just spend time however many hundreds of years, just talking about his story. Tell me. Let me show you. So it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall. Now, let me catch you up to where we are. Nehemiah, in chapter 1, hears about the plot of his, fa of his people, the Jews, back in Jerusalem, and how the walls are torn down, the temple's gone, everything is just rubble. It's just, it's just burnt rocks. It's nothing. And, and, and he begins to really get a burden to want to rebuild that place. He, he's like, that's not right. We need to rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem is our home, and it's where we belong. And he gets this burden, and, and so much so that the king, when he goes in front of the king, notices, he says, Jer uh, you know, uh, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you? You don't look right. And, and, and he says, how can I be happy when, when my homeland is burned, when, when I don't. And the king then gives a decree, gives him lumber, gives him everything he needs, sends a, a guard with him and says, look, you take what you need and you go build. 
And God opens the door. God does a miracle. He gets there and tells the people, look, God has sent me and, and the king has okayed this. And man, they're all fired up and they're ready to build. And so we get through chapter one, two, and three, and we've got this building project going and we've got all this stuff and it's exciting until chapter four. And chapter four is where reality hits your dream and your life, your marriage, your kids, your world. But so it happened when Sanballat, when the enemy heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices again? Are they going to build a church again? Are they, what do they think they're going to do? This is pitiful. They got a bunch of burnt rocks. Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned? In other words, when you burn a stone like that, it weakens it so that you can take, just basically drop it on the ground. It'll just crumble. It has no strength to it. What are they going to do? They don't have any more stones. They've got no more wall. They've got nothing. What are they going to do? Now, Tobiah, the Amorite, was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, if, if even a fox goes up on it, even if a little fox crawls up on it, it'll make it fall down. Hear, O God, verse 4, for we are despised. What's the first thing that he does? Praise. Look at the person beside you and said, everything begins with prayer. When Nehemiah was going to go back and he had a desire to go back, let me tell you what he did. He prayed. Don't ever, don't ever let anybody make you underestimate the power of prayer. Prayer is not to change and create a miracle instantaneously. See, that's what we've created prayer for. Prayer is what we do just when we need something at the moment. Hey, I've got an issue. Will y'all pray for me? That's what we've turned prayer into. Listen, prayer in its purest form is to take you out of where you are and to give you a vision from God's perspective. That's what prayer is. I, I, when I'm praying, I really don't care if we see a miracle or don't see a miracle. The miracles are already there. I just need to see it from God's perspective. And if I hold on it from God's perspective, it will eventually become reality. If I keep speaking what God says is, then it will become a reality. I've learned that. It's not that, hey, y'all pray, I really want to see this. No, no, no. When I pray, then I tell everybody, hey, guys, this is where we're going. See the difference? Hey, guys, pray for me. I need something. Or, hey, guys, I was praying, and God showed me where we're going to be. I don't know when we're going to get there. I don't know how we're going to get there. I don't know the way. I just know God said, Tim, start moving that direction and you're going to get there. So if I need healing in my body, what do I do? I pray. And what if I don't get healing instantaneously? I just start speaking what God's already said. God, I've already had my body pray for. I've already had people lay hands on me. I've already done everything. So I don't know whether I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden feel my healing. In my life, I've had that many times where I've walked along and had, had sickness or had issues and be walking along like, oh, and somebody's like, 
you need to go to bed. No, it, it's going to break. It's going to break. Don't you worry. It'll break. And, and how you know? Because I've done been prayed for. I've done had people send prayers. I've done, I've done, had, I've been anointed. I've done everything I was supposed to do. It's already done. I'm just convincing my body now that I'm looking at it from God's perspective. And God's perspective says that it's already taken care of. I just got to get you to see it. So, hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their heads. Give them as plunder to the land of captivity. So Nehemiah deals with this in prayer. But now prayer isn't enough. Prayer isn't enough. The enemy always will start in your life with ridicule. It doesn't matter if it just comes from inward. It doesn't matter if it comes outwardly. He's going to start in your life with ridicule. You'll never make it. You'll never find the right girl. You'll never find the right guy. You'll never find the right job. It'll never happen for you. You just, he's going to ridicule you. That's his normal plan. So when the enemy ridicules, what do we do? We pray. We begin to seek God. That becomes our power weapon. And let's read, and let me show you a little bit more. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you for they have provoked who? You to anger before the builders. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to the half of its height. So the wall came up about halfway for the people had a mind to do what? When you're ridiculed, pray, And keep what? Working. Keep working at your marriage. Keep working at your job. Keep working with your kids. How do I overcome ridicule? Well, you don't do it by ridiculing somebody back. You do it by saying, God, that's on you. I'm doing what you called me to do. I'm doing it the way you called me to do it. And I'm going to keep on working. In fact, I'm going to work harder. Listen to what it says. For the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs and the Amorites and the Ashdites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very... What happens when ridicule won't stop you? What do people do? What does the enemy do when, when just making fun of you won't make you quit? Now, for most people, just ridiculing you and calling you a funny name or telling you you're dumb or what, you'll stop. But what if you won't? What if God puts something in your heart? You won't quit the marriage. You won't quit your job. You won't quit life. You won't quit believing. You won't let go of your healing. You won't. What happens? What will the enemy do then? Well, if ridicule doesn't work, then the fear and threats becomes his next Let me say it this way. If, if I can't ridicule you and make you feel bad, let's use since we've been praying, sickness in your body. If, if, if this morning Pastor Locke gave an altar call, you came, everything in you is like, this probably won't work. You've got to fight through ridicule. I'm going to look silly. I'll just, I'll just pray where I'm at. God doesn't need me to have to go up there and do it that way. I can do it my own. You've got to fight through the ridicule, but you did. You got prayed for. 
what's the enemy's next attack? You go back to your seat and you sit down. What fear is there next? That it's going it's to get worse. I prayed for it and it might not go, it, it might. Listen, when the enemy cannot ridicule you into quitting, let me tell you the next thing he will do. They begin to close that they begin to be very angry. Verse 8. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So what do I have to do, Brother Lot? What do you do when, when you've prayed for things in your life and, and things? I don't worry about the next time I get a pain. I don't worry about the next time something starts to seem like it's going backward again. I don't, I don't worry about it. I hold to it. I'm not going to get caught up in the confusion of what's taking place. I'm not going to let fear like, oh, Lord, here we go again. Oh, my goodness, it didn't work. No. I done prayed. Let it go. I'm not taking it back. It's your problem, God. I'm going to go on and live life like I'm supposed to. Listen to what happens. And all of them conspired together. Verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our... There's that word again. What do you start with? Prayer. Prayer ain't the end, but prayer is always the beginning. When something changes in my atmosphere, you know what the first thing I'm going to do? I'm praying. God, let me see it from your perspective. So they prayed. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is such rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. It is the, it is the battle now, the chaos, that trying to create confusion, trying to create discouragement, wanting you to let go of what God has said you can have. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come to them midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was that when the Jews who dwelt near them came and told them ten times, what ten times means is continual. Ten times in the Jewish language means it. every time we went to the coffee shop, somebody, well, you know what's, you know, them folks said they're going to come get you. You, you know, you know, you know, I, I had an aunt that, that had that stuff, and yes, she was okay for about a week or two, and all of a sudden it turned twice as bad. All you're going to hear then is something to try to create confusion in your life. I hope this is good to somebody. Because this will get you through life, buildings, whatever you want to do. This will get you through it. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near the came and they told us ten times, from, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Man, I'm talking about they didn't say coming one way because notice now how many countries was listed. That was the north, east, south, and west. It was all surrounded. They were surrounded. And they said, you don't know where we're coming from. You don't know which direction we're coming from, but we're going to get you. We're going to kill you. Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings to set the people according to their families and their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked, arose, and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your fight for your future. 
Where are you going to be in five years? Where are you going to be? Once you know where you're supposed to be and once you start to engage the battle, don't forget who you're fighting for. See, what people don't realize is when I was 15 and 16 year old, I was fighting for a lease lot. When I was 18, 19 years old, I was fighting for Taylor Lott and Caitlin Lott and Nathan Lott. When I was 20-something years old, I was fighting for all seasons. But you weren't even at all seasons. You didn't have Taylor yet. You didn't have... No, no, no. That was five or ten years in the future. I wasn't fighting for my moment. I was fighting for my future. And Nehemiah says, don't you ever forget what you're fighting for. When something comes along wanting to attract you or to stop you. I remember my mom saying it so well years ago. My mom had this anxiety. And she had just anxiety that, and, and, and that caused her to just really struggle. So she would, she would argue with my dad. She would fuss with my dad. My dad could come home and, and she, she would say things like, who'd you see today? Because she had all this anxiety. And he'd say, I didn't see anybody today. I was just working my job, and Dad was very careful. He's trying to keep it, boy, just trying to keep it just, you know, how us guys are. I didn't see nothing. I didn't, you know, she said, you didn't see nobody at work today? He said, well, I, you know, I was just one lady or whatever, whatever. What she have on? What, I mean, it just went on. It's like she just tear him down. Just, just, I know none of you ladies are like that, but to my mom, this was a struggle in her life. And then after she have all this with my dad, and my dad just get all frustrated. He's like, I'm just, I'm just going to go to bed. I'm just going to do what I'm going to go to church, go study, pray. You know. And I, I look at my mom and say, Mom, do you think dad would do anything? She said, no. She said, your dad would slap a woman if she tried to come on to it. I said, then why in the world are you jumping dad? But that was her battle. That was her battle. But dad, she wasn't worried about dad. She knew dad was fighting for Tim and Trent and Tabitha and Terrence and his life. She knew he was fighting. That gave her confidence. Even in the middle of her anxiety, that gave her confidence. Oh, no, I know you're dead you got to know what you're fighting for because it settles everything else around the chaos in your life. My dad fighting didn't cause my mom's anxiety, but my dad's fighting gave her confidence that I don't have to worry. Verse 15, and it happened when the enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was that from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held spears and shields and bows and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall, and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held their weapon. They established the process by which they were going to get through the rest of it. How are we going to get to the finish line while at the same time we're working? We're going to be prepared to fight anything that's coming. 
Anything the enemy brings, better know that we're going to attack it. We're going to fight it. And this is how they got through. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at the side as he built. And he who sounded the trumpet was beside me. I love that. That's very important because you don't want to give the trumpet to the wrong person. Anybody ever? Some people blow that horn all the time. Oh, you see this? Go. Oh, something. I heard something. No. Nehemiah said, "The guy with the horn stays with me." And if it if it blows, you'll know it's serious. If Pastor Lot stands up one Sunday and says, guys, there's some serious stuff we need to be praying about, nobody's going to question, oh, I don't know. No, no, if Pastor Lot said, because guess what? He ain't blowing the horn unless there's something that he knows that we all got to fight. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far one from another wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us, our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem that they may be guarded by night and working part, party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off their clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. He said, listen to me. I was so committed to where I got to get to. When I slept at night, I still had my sword strapped to me. I slept fully clothed. The only time I ever took my clothes off is when I took a bath and I put them right back on. Other than that, I was ready to work and I was ready to fight. I was ready to work and I was ready to fight. I was ready to work and I was ready to fight until it got finished. That is living unsatisfied, but not dissatisfied. Dissatisfied means you sit down and you complain. Oh, we can't do it and people want to hurt us and things are. Unsatisfied means if we got to do it one-armed, if we got to do it with a sword on one side and my hand. I said it in the prayer time, and I'll say it to you again. We are reaching a time to where the violent take it by force. And when we say that to the Christian church, we don't mean guns and knives. And when we say it to the church, we mean prayer and work. Prayer and work. And sticking with it and not letting it go and not getting discouraged and not getting tore down. We'll take you to one more scripture. Pull up Philippians for me and I'll get you out of here. My time is up. Here's what Philippians says. And I want you to see it one more time through the Apostle Paul's eyes. There's probably no one who balanced this better than the Apostle Paul. Other than Jesus Christ to go through what he went through and not get dissatisfied. To remain unsatisfied, always wanting more. But never dissatisfied and discouraged and quitting. Here's how he would say it. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. I like that. Not that I have received, but I have learned. 
I have learned that in whatever state I'm in, I've learned that at that moment it's okay. I've learned to be content. Being content just means to be satisfied where I'm at. Not totally satisfied that I don't want to move forward, but I'm, I'm okay with where I'm at. So if you were to ask me each day, Brother Lot, are you happy where you're at? Yeah, yes and no. If I was to die right here, I'm good. But if God gives me some more days, now there's a few more things I'd like to get done. That's being satisfied and unsatisfied at the same time. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have what? Learned. I have learned both to be full and to be... How can you be full and hungry at the same time? I just told it. I just taught it to you. Somebody says, how you doing? Man, I'm doing good. You good with everything? Well, there's always something I'd like to have done now. Don't push me. There's always a few things I'd like to change. I keep working toward them. But you know what? I'm good. I'm not jumping ship today. I'm okay. I've learned how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And this becomes the battle cry of the person who is unsatisfied but content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's nothing in this world you can't do or be or become because it's not you that will ever do it. It'll be the Christ who lives in you who's stronger than any situation or circumstance that you'll ever go through. If God puts a vision, a dream in your spirit, your life, where you're supposed to work toward, where you're supposed to be, the life you're supposed to have, whether you're supposed to one day meet an Elise lot and have three kids and move to Forest, Mississippi, or whatever God has for you, listen, it's very simple. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We are clay, little clay jars, weak little clay jars that has this enormous light within it. But Christ says, I'll make sure, I'll make sure the jar doesn't get broken. You you may go through some cracks, but don't worry, it won't crush you. You may get some scratches along the way, but don't worry, you'll get there. And for whoever you are this morning that's in this room, you have a decision to make of whether you're going to be a dissatisfied person, whether you're going to be unhappy, critical, negative, about what life has not, or whether you're going to be like Paul and you're going to say, you know what, I've learned that I'm satisfied right where I'm at. I'm okay. It doesn't mean I hadn't got everything I'm still wanting. But it means I'm okay with God today. 
And if you can learn that balance, you will be the happiest people that ever walked this earth. Because money, wealth, fame will never take away dissatisfaction. We laugh and make fun of the things we see on TV and Hollywood. and all. Why? Because we watch a bunch of dissatisfied people trying to find happiness. And we make TV shows about it. We got Johnny Depp and Hurd or whoever she is on the court. And we watch that and, and we just laugh at how they treat it. And these are two millionaires that can't be happy. Guess what? Dissatisfaction can't be cured from the outside. Only God can cure it from the inside. I've learned to be content. I've learned to be hungry and full at the same time. God, I'm believing for my miracle. But that's okay. I'm hanging on till it gets there. That's life. Will you stand? Father, this morning, I pray that they will do more research on what I just taught. What I have taught is deeper even than just what I've skimmed the surface with. But taking the scriptures that I've given them this morning, I pray that next week they will sit down and write down and really do some research on what it is to be dissatisfied versus unsatisfied versus content. Because this is the balance that Nehemiah has. This is the balance that Paul has. And in the day in which we live, this is the balance we must have. To feel many times knocked down, Disappointed, discouraged, perplexed, but never to feel crushed. Never that we feel abandoned. Never that we feel that we're not going to make it through. God, for whoever that person is in here today that that is living a dissatisfied life, it affects them, makes them angry. God, I pray that they would lay that down. That they would learn as the Apostle Paul how to be satisfied. Right where they are. Because the God that they serve isn't through. He isn't finished. The story hasn't been written. Not completely. Father, I praise you for the chapters to come. And I praise you for the miracles to come. For every person's life in here, I thank you for the stories that I will hear. I praise you for the testimonies. I praise you for the the incredible journey that those in this room will experience. And they will share. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.